Hi, I'm Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, and you're listening to Single High, a Notre Dame football podcast from UHND.com, the official home of the Kyle Hamilton fan club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Single High, Notre Dame football podcast brought to you by UHND.com. I am your host, Greg Flamong, and joining me today, a very special guest from the Irish Sports Daily is the incomparable Matt Freeman. Matt, thanks for coming on, man. What's up, man? Thanks for having me back. I'm blessed. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you may, um, you may have to uh, change the uh, single high in relation from Kyle to Ramon Henderson after Saturday. Yeah, we, we, you know, going into next year, we we might have to hit up Ramon and we might have to get him to do an intro after his uh, Kyle-like interception. I was very impressed, as I put out on Twitter today. It was uh, look, anytime a safety does something um, exciting like that, I'm gonna pump it up. So um, yeah, that was a fun time. Um, so speaking of the game, Notre Dame uh, beats Virginia 28 to three in um, some people say was a boring performance. Uh, some people weren't impressed. They wanted more points. Other people would say, you know, if you're down four captains and, you know, you're, you're without your best player defensively, you're without drew white and mta like basically an hour before the game any kind of victory uh when you give up three points is good so um how did how did you kind of uh take in the game how how did you view that the whole the whole night the performance and everything yeah i see both sides of people's arguments in terms of people kind of wanting Notre dame to run it up a little bit um but at the same time i feel like Notre dame had its opportunities to put more points on the board and uh, it just came down the field ex- ex- execution um, on the fourth and one early in the game where they didn't mm-hmm. get it, um, the cone interception, um, and then there were a couple other points where they had some um, solid drives, but they just didn't finish. So, I mean, that's partially on them, and um, obviously the Buckner fumble at the end would have been probably 35-3 to three, or made mm-hmm. the game 35-3. to three. So yeah. um, I think Notre Dame had its opportunities to do that, Um and now I do agree that I don't think Tommy Rees and Brian Kelly kept their foot on the pedal necessarily for four quarters, but I mean, they, they were letting Buckner throw the ball around at the end of the game. So, or in the fourth quarter. So I think that's probably an indication that they were open to just letting him make plays. And if they scored, so be it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, defensively, obviously Virginia is extremely different without Brennan Armstrong, but at the same time, I think you saw Notre Dame kind of 
um, do stuff that they weren't doing uh, early in the year with um, mm-hmm. its defense. I mean, they were tackling better. They essentially shut down the run, and they mm-hmm. didn't allow any big plays, which, I mean, true freshman starting against Notre Dame's defense, tough tough ask for Virginia. But, I mean, that kid threw the ball well, had a couple really nice throws. So, I mean, yeah. he could sling it, but um, they just didn't let anything big happen. And, I mean, that's what you got to do in a game like that. Yeah, I think I think not having Armstrong made it difficult for people to process how to kind of take in the 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 three points because you know you know that Virginia has a bunch of good wide receivers and people were talking about how they had you know four guys or whatever that were over 400 yards receiving. Um, Wicks was o- almost at a thousand yards receiving going into the game, and so they all if you have these big weapons, but then you don't have the quarterback. And I feel like if, if Armstrong had played in the game in the final scores, 28 to three, we'd only be talking about the three. And that's, uh, that's all you would think. And, you know, there would be a little bit about the offense, but not really. And I think it's just hard for people to process. We've never seen him play. So we don't have a comp for like, this is what he can do against a defense that isn't ours. So I think that was hard for people. Um, And also you mentioned the Buckner fumble. I, I feel like, the not scoring the 35 there and fumbling on which was basically our last chance to um like last serious scoring chance if they had gone up 35 to 3 i honestly think that people would have felt a lot better about it but since like 28 to 3 it just feels like nah like nah they didn't really do that much um but you mentioned yeah plus i mean people would be jazzed up just because buckner would have led what an 80 yard 80 90 yard drive for a touchdown yeah. at the end of the game so i mean people would have totally i agree with you on that yeah it was it was a seven play 85 yard drive where they fumbled so it would have been at least eight or it would have been seven for 90 if they had gone in on that point so um you know that was a really good looking drive um and it's just like you mentioned like, like the, the notre dame loves to sneak it on like not fourth and inches it's like a fourth and a yard like he had a long one against usc i remember um and they went so quickly i you know i remember watching in the stands thinking well that's that's pretty far to sneak it and then they ended up getting it so it wasn't a big deal they tried it again and it didn't work out um there was a lot going on um you know afterwards a lot of talk about the team having like a flu bug going through the locker room um, and I think Brian Kelly had, you know, kind of mentioned it. And how much do you think that went into just kind of the the approach to the game? Let's say offensively, not just the flu bug piece, but also like you you only have four healthy wide receivers. It's hard to, you know, be, you know, go quickly and move fast and that sort of thing. How how much do you think that played a role into how they approached the game offensively? I mean, I, I don't know specifically just because I don't know which players were sick this week. But, right. I mean, Kelly mentioned after the game they had 13 players in and out of practice. And, right. I mean, that's going to impact a lot of preparation for defense, offense, um, even if those players were uh, not in your two deep, um, just because that impacts what kind of looks and stuff you're getting those guys are giving the starting unit in practice. So yeah. um, I think it was probably a very challenging week. And the fact that, Drew White and Myron tried to give it a go when they had fevers over 100. I mean, that I think that probably speaks volumes at where Notre Dame was at. Um, and then, obviously, moving Ramon Henderson to safety this week, uh, that probably wasn't the easiest transition because Kelly mentioned right. he was also sick. So 
I mean, I, I think that there was a lot of moving pieces uh, before this game. And like you said, the, the receiver depth is not good right now. And I mean, there were times where Matt Salerno, Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey were on the field at the same time. And I'm not sure that's exactly what Notre Dame wants to do, but um, you got to give breaks to your starters at some point. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think definitely if the team went through the flu bug, like Kelly mentioned, I mean, that definitely impacted what they were able to do during the week. Yeah, and it's like a big one. There's there's like that's kind of going around out here, too, in Southern California. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, thankfully, apparently, not COVID. Uh, apparently uh, it went through Florida and LSU, I think, last week when they both lost. Yeah. So uh, Notre Dame beat the flu bug and beat Virginia. So I think Notre Dame fans should uh, take that for granted because things aren't going so well in Florida, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're not going well in Kansas either or in Texas, I should say. Yeah. Um, uh, so to that point, I, you know, you are my, um, you're, you're my, the, the, the person that I talk to who is the, um, how do I say it? The, uh, everything's fine guy. So I've, I've hit you up more than a few times at various points of the season. Like, Oh, what do you think about this? Like after Florida state, it's like, what this defense, like, what do you think about that? And you're like, ah, oh, they're going to be fine. And then I asked you, I think post Cincinnati, just like, what do you think about this offensive line? Like, I don't know what to make of these guys. And you're like, ah, oh, they're going to be just fine. And you're always this, the just fine guy. And here they are nine and one and they, it was all just fine. So I guess, where do you, where did you get that from? Specifically with the line, especially the defense was was easier to kind of wrap my head around because I knew, you know, it was one game and it was one specific kind of like scheme thing that they did. And it was, it was it's not something that we, you know, anyone thought was going to happen over and over again. And it, and it didn't, but the offensive line was something different and we've seen a complete um, change there. Like how, where, where did you kind of that confidence come from where it's like, ah, oh, they're going to be okay. Like they're going to get it figured out. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was super confident they were going to get it figured out. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think that, um, one, I think Jeff Quinn is a better offensive line coach than most give him credit for. Um, I wouldn't say that he's the best offensive line coach in the country, but I think he he has done well with the offensive line going back to Cincinnati and before that. So I think while he has his faults and people can criticize him all they want, rightfully yeah. so, for the first half of the year, I think he... Right. He's just a football coach who's been there, done that. So he's not going to get too overwhelmed when things are bad. But um, I just think that probably my where I felt like they were going to be fine was the injuries had to stop at some point. Right. And as long as they could stabilize the left tackle position, that's where their issues started. And enter mm-hmm. Joe Alt. I mean, I don't think that I probably would have predicted him to stabilize the position. <laughs> um, but, I mean, he's come in and done a great job. And then um, – it, it kind of trickled down and they got the left guard thing figured out and it allowed them to play better just because they can run to both sides of the, of the field now. And right. I mean, I think it's also helped Kane Madden um, improve just because there's, he can relax and there's not so much pressure on him um, defensively. I mean, it's just kind of like you said, I mean, it's game one, Florida state, it wasn't the greatest performance, but they were causing havoc, forcing turnovers mm-hmm. and, it was just bad tackling. Um, and that's something that game one, I'm not going to get too crazy about. Now, 
they've had a couple games since then where it's not been good tackling. But, I mean, overall, I think they're a pretty good tackling team. It's just they lack speed in the secondary, and I think that's kind of their Achilles heel right now. And, yeah, speaking of uh, Joe Alt, you know, I don't know that there was anyone who thought that he was going to be kind of the answer to the, you know, whatever the problems were on the offensive line. And I kind of view Ramon Henderson the same way just because, you know, he was a guy that, you know, when you think about, oh, we're going to plug and play these players into these positions. I mean, I didn't I didn't think that he was going to be an option there to be like the 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 safety, the, you know, the deep safety in the middle of the field like Kyle was playing. Um, and it, it, it's kind of one of those things where with all two, you, you wonder if if they had done this kind of right away, like what the team could have looked like or what the offensive line could have looked like. And and but just like one of those things where. You know, the, the guys are ready to go when they're ready to go. Right. You can't you can't force these things. And just because they're playing well now doesn't mean they're they're ready to kind of be frontline players, you know, early September or something like that, especially with Ramon Henderson. Right. Like, you know, you don't know that he's ready to be the deep safety um, or he can even do that like right away because you have to kind of figure it out first. Uh, but of those two players, which one of those is kind of the most surprising to you because you've seen this team practice. So um, which one of those two is the most surprising? It's like, wow, I, I did not foresee that person being the answer to this, uh, this problem. I I would have to go with Joe just because, I mean, he was probably what he's obviously the fourth option. I mean, you uh-huh. go Blake Fisher. I think everybody was in agreement. Like this kid's going to be damn good. And right. he was, and he won the job like three practices in the spring. Um, so right. um, I think that Joe's ascension, while it might not have been totally on him and what he did, I think that's probably more surprising than than Ramon Henderson getting um, reps in a – I mean, there's bodies there, but there's just no experience. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if one of the freshmen would have stood out and taken that role, it probably wouldn't have surprised me as much um, – either as Joe Alt being going through three bodies to become the stabilizing force on the offensive line. So um, I think with Ramon at first, I won't lie when Notre Dame offered him, I wasn't super high on him uh, when I watched his high school junior film. Um, But then he kind of grew on me um, once he got done with his senior year and everything like that. Um, I don't, I don't, I still wasn't confident that he could play cornerback or even safety I felt he was like a better receiver to be honest with you but right I mean you could see the athletic traits there where he can um, just cover a lot of ground really quick um, now he's not a super long strider so whether right. you feel like that's a plus or a minus he's that but I mean you could tell that there were athletic traits there combined with his unique size and length so I mean there's something there but um, I'd, to answer your question I'd have to definitely go with Joe Right. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, he was one where it's, it's like you're almost, it's almost like you're counting on the pedigree um, to come through with the, you know, his dad and everything. Um, and it's like, once he came in at three Oh five or over 300 pounds, it was like, Oh, okay. Like he's actually has a chance. Whereas, you know, he's coming in at 270 or whatever. It's like, it's not going to work out. So, um, you know, you just never know. Right. And, and, and one thing that Brian Kelly's teams are really good at, 
is just kind of finding a way to make things work when when you don't you don't feel like there's an answer. Um, and that's especially true on the offensive line. And I was I was thinking about this is they are now playing offensively the way that I think no one thought that they were going to be able to. I mean, last night was almost a almost like I saw it as the the Georgia Tech game from last year where they controlled the ball for so long and they had a bunch of long drives and it was all like so much running um like you know short passes reverses that sort of thing just kind of you know you're you're not taking a bunch of shots you know they took some but not really that many they possessed the ball for a really long time and they didn't come out with a lot of points but then you look and it's like oh like they were actually never really stopped either. And I just didn't like, I don't think anyone thought even going into the season, let alone, you know, when they're losing the or losing those Cincinnati or, you know, they're not doing much against Wisconsin or anything like that. I don't think anyone thought that they were going to be able to play this way. At the time it was, it's got to be all big plays because they cannot sustain drives. And in the last four weeks, you know, since the bye, they've been, doing exactly that i mean it's it's very i don't want to say similar because it's the the team is kind of different with the offensive line but in the tight ends too but it's it's there's not that much explosiveness and and they're leaning on you know the short passing game and you know taking chances here and there so i don't know it's it's just it's funny how things have kind of worked out in that way this year yeah i mean it's now, like I said at the beginning of the of the podcast, like I understand the frustration from some Notre Dame fans with the offense and everything, but and then like to your point though, like when you go look at the stats, Jack Cohen was 15 of 20 right. for three touchdowns, 132 yards, and the one pick. But I mean that's a 75% completion rate. And then you add in the fact that Notre Dame rushed for 249 yards. I mean, that's a pretty good day. Um, and then if you do add Tyler Buckner, he also completed 75% of his passes for 42 right. yards. So, I mean, it's an efficient offense. Um, I think if it's kind of like the Cincinnati game where if you don't have those two turnovers and then the um, fourth down, fourth and one stop, I mean, it's yeah. probably the game that, like I said, every Notre Dame fan that's criticizing the offense wanted. So, right. I mean, it's – it's just you got to clean that up. But, I mean, in a 28-3 to game, I mean, it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah. Um, how do you, I guess, do you feel like, what 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 are they not doing that you feel like, I, I want to see more of this? Um, I think offensively, I think just getting Lorenzo Styles the ball more. Um, I think mm-hmm. – Back when I think when we talked the first time on the podcast, yeah, I know I wrote it a couple times. I wanted Tommy Reese to kind of get more perimeter screens, whether it right. was to Styles, to Lindsey, to Austin, or to Davis when he was playing, um, and he started to do that, and it's been successful, um, just because those guys are good in space and they can make a guy miss. So I think that's kind of what I wanted them to do, and I think they can probably do a little bit more of it, but. Right now, I think it's just getting the ball at Styles more. Um, I think he's proven over the last four weeks that when he gets the ball, good things are going to happen. And that happened again on Saturday when he had that 50-whatever-yard reverse for a touchdown that got mm-hmm. called back. Right. Um, 
I mean, that was an elite athlete making an elite play. I mean, he outran the defense, broke a tackle, and then outran the defense again. So um, I think if you get him the ball, good things are going to happen. And I like the deep shot that they took to him. Um, you mm-hmm. got to keep doing that, whether it's him or Lindsey. But um, I think if they keep doing that, that's fine. Um, and then probably offensively, the other part is maybe take a few more deep shots. But, I mean, that's not a strength of Jack Cohn. And um, I think as long as they pick their spots to do it like they did um, in the Florida State game, I think that's ideal for what Notre Dame wants to do on offense because they found the running game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the uh, what do you make of the 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 quarterback Cone Buckner situation right now? Um, I think it's going about as well as it can. Um, I don't know. I I I was higher on Buckner than most people, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, right now, I think they're just not trying to put too much on his plate, mm-hmm. and I think that's fine. I think that there is a solid reasoning to lean on Jack Cohn right now just because of where the offense is at, um, especially at receiver so many young guys. And you're, you need to lean on his experience to get them through. Um, and, and I'm not sure that they would be 9-1 right now if Tyler Buckner had taken over after Virginia Tech because um, they would have had to score points like they did against North Carolina. And while Buckner is electric and has shown flashes, I'm not sure he puts up 44 points. So I think they're doing well. I think they could probably have gotten Buckner they're in a couple more series yesterday, but I mean, they're averaging over 70 yards a carry for most of the game. So I think it's just kind of nitpicking right now. And I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Right. And, and so it's, it's tough because I feel like Cone has played, has played pretty well since the end of the, since they came out of the bye. Um, and, and I, and I feel like, so much of, uh, by the same token, I feel like so much of the run stuff that they're doing, um, it seems like, oh man, it would work so much better if Buckner was doing this. Um, and then, you know, and then Buckner comes in and they just run basically this same set of plays over and over again. And he either keeps it or he gives it or he pitches it out somewhere. And it's like, they're just doing the same thing over and over. And the defenses just can't keep up with him. And he's, you know, Put, tying them in knots and he's you know he's rolling right and he's throwing the lindsey on a go route it's like what is this pass <laughs> and and but it's like right there and and you know they draw a pass interference penalty and so it, you know but then at the same time you, you get all the way down there and it's a fumble at the goal line and and i know it, it's easy to kind of wash away because you look at all the rest of it it's like oh if you just get rid of that then it's no problem but like if if Cone had gotten the team all the way down the field like he has before, and then made like a, a mistake that cost them the ball, people would hold it against him, and they'd be like, "Well, you know, you shouldn't be in the game or whatever." So um, it's just hard to it's hard to balance that. And 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 I guess to coach, you know, to Kelly's credit and to Reese's credit, they have managed it to where it hasn't been an outright negative in a few games now i mean so ever, ever easily since 
the uh, the buy. Right. It, it just mm-hmm. seemed like like wh- whatever they've done, it's been I don't want to say perfect because maybe these things aren't you know totally perfect and they're not meant to be. But it hasn't been like a situation where it's like this this quarterback carousel situation has almost cost us a game. Like, I don't think that's happened at all. So, no, and I like how they're keeping it um, kind of. It's something the defense has to prepare for, but they can't right. – defenses can't lock in on when they are going to put Buckner in because Buckner's been in the game when they're backed up. And for a minute there, they used him in the red zone, but yeah. um, they've kind of gone away from that. So, I mean, I think that's also a challenge for preparation on the op- opposition. And they don't know when Buckner's going to go in because he doesn't have a set package or a set – yardage where he goes in the game and i think that's probably playing to Notre Dame's advantage as well but um yeah i mean i think i just think that there it's it's a challenging situation and i think they made the most of it and i mean you saw what caleb williams did on saturday and yeah. he's a higher ranked highly touted freshman and he's going through growing pains so i mean who's to say that buckner wouldn't go through the same thing and cost Notre Dame games so, I, um, yeah, I, I look at. I think that's a great point because I was I was thinking that the other day, or when I was watching that, and it's like Caleb Williams is struggling, and and that's that's an undefeated Oklahoma team that is now not, and that might have cost them a chance at the uh, at the playoffs, you know. And and I I I think there's no question that a similar thing probably would have happened to Buckner because that's just the nature of it, right? I mean, it happened against Virginia Tech where he looked yep. great and he looked so good. And then there were just a couple mistakes where it's like you can explain him away because, you know, he's a young kid or whatever. But at the same time, it almost cost him a game, you know? And 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 then, you know, Cone comes in and, and you know, it obviously it goes the way it, the way it goes. So it, I, I think that's true. I, I I think that Kelly and Reese, they had an instinct for it. And they they said, like, look, we, we, we have to find a way to play both of them, but we do need both of them. It was just one of those things. Like, we, we cannot just go with one. We have to go with both. And they were right. You know, they, they made the right call. So, I mean, credit to them. Um, I want to transition to something that I heard on the uh, the post-game show for Irish Sports Daily with with Mike Frank and Jamie and um, Christian McCollum. There was a, oh a, a, a lively discussion about whether or not this game costs Notre Dame, I don't want to say a chance in the playoffs, you know, is it does it hurt their standing with the committee? And... Mike was adamant that it did, and I think Jamie and Christian were adamant that it it did not. So where do you fall on that? Um, Once again, I mean, I see both points of view. Um, I think that uh, first and foremost, you just need to win. And when you're sitting at nine, that's what you need to do to to advance. You can um, worry about style points all you want, but, I mean, the committee is going to see – a dominant win and is it really going to change their opinion if you won 50 to three against a team that had um, a true freshman backup quarterback in I don't think so because I think that's the determining factor in all of this um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, Notre Dame controlled the game start to finish, and if the committee actually watches the game, they'll see that. Um, and, I mean, I for this game specifically, I just don't think it really matters because Brennan Armstrong not playing is the story, not Notre Dame. Right. And rightfully, right or wrong, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Um, so, I mean, a 25-point win or a 40- or 50-point win, I think the story stays the same just because – I mean, it's Virginia didn't have the most explosive or the most productive quarterback um, in college football this year. So, I mean, I think you can make that excuse of Brendan Armstrong didn't play if they won 50 to three. So um, I don't think it matters in the eyes of the committee and especially in Notre Dame's case where they're not coming into the week at nine. Um, If they were five, sure. I mean, possibly it could matter just because you're trying to just get over that last team to get right. into the final four. But I mean, right now, Notre Dame just needs to keep winning because they need so much to happen in front of them to, to get into that final four. Right. And I think, I think that what helps Notre Dame in this situation is the perception was they were playing well going into the game. And I don't think this is a game where, you come out of it being like, I don't know, Notre Dame looks vulnerable to me. You know, like I like th- not that game didn't change the opinion of people who thought like Notre Dame is on the up and up, you know? And I think that's what matters in this situation, right? It, you don't what you don't want is to perpetuate uh, a narrative in like the negative way. Like I remember in 2015. They had a, they had a rough game. What was it? They they were ranked. They were they came out ranked fourth or third or something, whatever it was. And they had a rough game against Wake Forest, offensively, and they didn't suffer for it. And then they had another rough game against Boston College, and that was when it was they dropped them because it was like, look, you you have now shown us twice that you're not playing well on a certain side of the ball and therefore you're going to pay for that. And that didn't happen. Like, I don't think anyone's watching the game and being like, I don't know about this offense. Like they're struggling. Right. And, and the same thing, obviously with the defense, right. And obviously Brennan Armstrong didn't play, but um, you know, it's not like they showed themselves vulnerable at any point. Like they didn't give up any points or they gave up a field goal. So I, I kind of I, I agree with you there. Um, what do you what do you think about the the I guess Notre Dame standing in the playoffs at this point? Like what how, what do you think their chances are? Like for real? I mean, I think I saw some ESPN projection had them at a sixty percent chance to make the playoffs today. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I agree with that, <laughs> um, but I mean, if you look at the AP poll, I mean Notre Dame is six right now mm-hmm. so i think they're gonna get bumped up possibly to what eight because oklahoma lost so uh i'm trying to bring up the rankings real quick yeah so my guess is they're probably going to be eight this week in the playoff rankings and then obviously michigan michigan state and ohio state all play or michigan michigan state play ohio state it's end of the year so, I mean, that's going to sort itself out. Um, but, 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, I the Cincinnati thing is just confusing to me in the first place because um, I don't – They can't, Cincinnati, if they go undefeated, Notre Dame cannot get in over them. I mean, that's that would be the most ludicrous thing to ever happen in some wild decisions in the college football playoff rankings, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I just can't see Georgia or Alabama getting left out. I mean, I just can't see it because I think even if Alabama loses to Georgia in a close one, I still think you probably got to put them in. But I don't know. It's it'll be interesting, especially if say Michigan State beats Ohio State this weekend. Right. Um, I think that could shake things up the most. But I don't know. I'm not one of those guys that. Um, just lives and breathes the rankings and tries to dissect every <laughs> every possible outcome. But I, I do think it's interesting, um, and perhaps it might be interesting just because they have Michigan ranked over Michigan State when um, that head-to-head battle went in Michigan State's favor. So, yeah, I don't know. I just don't see any consistency in the rankings, and I think mm-hmm. that's probably why I'm not suckered into it like – like some people. <laughs> right. Uh, it's kind of like recruiting in that way. Like recruiting, there's a signing day and let's, let's find out who signs and who doesn't on that date. Right. Like we don't need to know, you know, we don't need to know all the stuff in between. It's like, you know, the, the committee has a final ranking. So let's, let's find out what the final rankings are and we'll talk about it then. So like, I, I kind of see that point. Um, it is it is interesting though, like how how Notre Dame is if they make it, it would be just a total backdoor situation that would really make me laugh just because of the the whole narrative about, you know, they like the committee never wants to put a one loss Notre Dame team in or whatever. So um Yeah, so. I mean it's it's interesting just because I don't think anyone outside of Georgia and probably Ohio State is playing like great football right now so right um it's it's interesting because i mean the people that are criticizing Notre Dame for not running up the score yesterday i mean look at oregon's wins and since they yeah. beat ohio state i mean they've been in several close games with pretty bad teams so um it can't matter style points can't matter that much um but that being said oregon does have that one in columbus which um is Probably one of the bigger wins of this of the season. They might have the best win of the year, and they might have the worst loss of the year too. Yeah, I I can't believe they lost to Stanford. Yeah, yeah, Stanford is not not shouldn't lose to them. Let's just put it like that. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, speaking of recruiting, there were a, a couple of surprises last week. Uh, one good, one bad, I guess. Let's start with the good one first. Um, Emil Wagner. How about that? Pretty crazy, right? The the Ohio <laughs> uh, the Ohio boys uh, keeping everyone on their toes. Yeah, that's um, so. Yeah, Emil Wagner, total surprise. Um, I mean, I had talked to people at Notre Dame early in the week and then the day before, and I mean, they didn't feel good about it. So um, I wasn't even watching the announcement. Um, and so I got tipped off and had to scramble as he was committing. So, um, it was pretty crazy. Um, 
Good pickup for Jeff Quinn and Notre Dame. I think Tommy Rees and Quinn deserve a ton of credit there. Um, I think uh, Wagner's parents probably uh, are pretty happy right now because I think they wanted him at Notre Dame just because uh-huh. of the education. Right. And judging by his mom's reaction during the announcement, I think she was probably pretty surprised. Yeah. So um, it's a big win uh, just because Kentucky – went uh i don't want to say dirty but they hired his brother as a ga and normally in most cases that solidifies a commitment so right uh, it worked out well for notre dame and when you say um the coaches didn't have a good feeling about it was that due to just the the way that he went about it in terms of kind of going dark and that usually doesn't happen when i say dark i mean he wasn't talking to anyone um, yeah, I mean, typically, like, Brady McGregor, I um, hate to bring that name up, but, yeah. I mean, he went dark, and everybody thought he went dark on Michigan, too. Um, apparently, that was not the case, but, right. yeah, when recruits shut things down, it's typically not good for that school that can't get them on the phone or right, right, have right. any meaningful type of communication. So, this is one of the, the rare cases where it worked out. Yeah, like, he truly wasn't talking to anyone. So, um, and he, you know, made his decision was for Notre Dame. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've been following recruiting pretty closely for the last like four or five years. And, uh, this is one of those where I, you know, I, I forgot he was committing. I forgot that he had picked November 11th to commit and I saw it come up on Twitter and I was like, what, like what? So, um, yeah, good news for sure. I mean, he's a great, great player. Um, you know, the fourth lineman in the class, they got four in the top uh, 200 of composite. So, um, you know, hey, that that train keeps on going. Um, and I don't know, I, I maybe it wasn't a surprise to you and maybe it was, but um, Lorenzo's brother, Sonny Styles, committed to Ohio State. Not a surprise in that he committed to them just because you know they were always going to be a major factor in his recruitment no matter when he committed but um i didn't i didn't get the sense that anything was imminent were you surprised by him pulling the trigger uh like you said i was not surprised it was ohio state um i mean it was going to be Notre Dame ohio state at the end of the day so if he committed to Notre dame i don't think the ohio state people would be overly shocked about it uh-huh. um, I was surprised that happened in November um, I had talked to Sonny last week after um, his visit to Notre Dame and then I had talked to cu- a couple people too and they felt more like it was in going to be a February March type of decision mm-hmm. Sonny didn't say that to me but he said he was just getting closer um, mm-hmm. so apparently he was but yeah. um, <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> I think the timing of it was just a little surprising, but I mean, his brother um, silently committed to Notre Dame, I believe, in August of his junior year and then went public in October. So, I mean, it is kind of the same timeline um, that Lorenzo had. So I might not be too surprising, but I mean, I was I was definitely surprised that he um, committed in November. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a tough one just because of the. The, the caliber of player. I mean, he's a fantastic player and the scheme fit. It's just like, he would have been such a perfect piece in uh, Marcus Freeman's defense. So 
That's tough. That's tough. Um, yeah, and I don't think the Notre Dame staff could have done anything more. Um, I talked to a couple people after he committed to Ohio State and just to see if there's any backstory there or anything like that. And it wasn't. I mean, it was it was a very tough decision for him uh, just yeah. because the opportunity to stay home is obviously uh, a unique factor for most kids. Um, and then playing with your brother at this level is obviously even more rare. So um, I think he struggled with some stuff going back and forth, but um, I think he just felt more comfortable at Ohio State. And I mean, I can't fault a kid for going where he's most comfortable. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, just the the kind of overall theme from this class um, is that it's just they're losing guys and you know maybe maybe there's a couple guys that the staff made i don't know i i'll say a mistake with but maybe they there's some sort of uh strategy that didn't work or whatever but it's it's not for a lack of like effort or you know maybe that's been at least the narrative in the past it's they're not trying as hard i just think that sometimes like nicholas singleton's kind of like a perfect example of that like notre dame is not in pennsylvania and so it's just that that was very important to him. And and, you know, he he it's very important to him that he has a lot of people who are coming to his games. Right. And and the, you don't have to spend money to come to you don't have to spend money to travel to you know Penn State. Right. And you do to South Bend. And that's just that's a big deal. And so you miss out on him. Right. And, you know, you. you yeah, I mean, I talked I talked to a kid that Notre Dame considers the best player at his position in the country. And I talked to the kid uh, within the last month or so, and he said he would have been committed months ago to Notre Dame if Notre Dame was in his state. So I think Notre Dame's going to end up getting him in the long run, but it's just a tough decision. Um, I don't think people understand, especially um, just, they just don't understand that these parents pay thousands of dollars just to go see their kid play once and you have to get him to and from school a couple times a year. And it's just not easy for every family to do something like that. Um, so I just don't think some people take that into consideration. And like you said, it's a lot easier for Nick Singleton to go to Penn state and it's a lot more affordable than even going to Notre Dame. Um, right. I mean, that's quite a drive. So um, it's not always easy, but I mean, in Sonny's case, I mean, it's just local kid staying local. So, yeah, we can, um, we can end just kind of on the, uh, just the overall, I guess your overall perception of this recruiting class, because, you know, their, uh, their composite rating is higher the average the average rating is higher than it's been um since 2013 um obviously you know you're looking to end strong with guys like billy strouth and xavier nwankba um you know maybe there'll be a receiver that pops up there but you know as it stands right now like they're number three overall in composite like what do you what do you make of this class like it's it's hard to see it as anything other than just like a phenomenal job by the entire staff. Really. I mean, you look at, you look at like across the board, right? Like they like Steve Angeli. He's played really well for Bergen Catholic. Um, he's, you know, climbed into the four-star status. Um, 
JD Price looks like a freaking monster. Like he's having it. He just had an incredible season in Texas. Um, Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams, they're two phenomenal wide receivers. Marion Walker's, you know, currently still in the class. You know, we'll see on that. But he's uh, he's a high upside guy. You know, th- this is one of the best linebacker classes they've had in years. Um, sure. So it's just like the defensive backs. That's another good haul. Like, tell me, tell me about the class. Like, what are you most excited about the overall job the staff has done um, on that front? Uh, I mean, I think it's a, a good class. And oddly enough, I think that probably the weakness is in the trenches. Um, I think it's a good offensive line class, but Notre Dame should be having great offensive line classes. And if they get Billy Trout, then I think it's kind of a borderline great class because you got um, three really good players, Emil Wagner, um, Ty Chan, and Shrout, if he ends up being in the class. So I think you can definitely build around that. Um, and then defensive line-wise, uh, I think they're in a numbers game right now, and I think that's probably why they didn't go after another guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really like Aiden Gobira, and I think Tyson Ford has a bright future, but I'd kind of like to see him um, at some of these. I think he's playing in – I forget which all-star game he's playing in, but he's playing there. And if he has a good week down there, then I might – feel a little bit better about him but Mm. I mean it's a good class overall they got quality DBs which is probably the number one need for this team Um, Devin Moore I think is severely underrated by most services I know Jamie Uyama at ISD has him as a uh, mid mid four star which I think is about right but I mean that kid came up back to back weeks in October and he looks like a million bucks he's all and long so um, I think they did well there, and as you mentioned, I think they have unquestioned the best linebacker class in the country. So I don't think they're really going to miss a beat. Um, and now, I mean, they're just in a position to to go big game hunting, so to speak. I mean, they're mm-hmm. in it for, like you mentioned, Xavier and Wonka, Billy Shrouth, um, and just I think if they can land those guys, or even like a Nick Singleton, if he opens things back up, I think it could really um, change the outlook on how even some Notre Dame view the class, despite it being a top five class right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, uh, when I was out for USC, I, I was walking around campus and I happened to see Tobias Merriweather walk by and that kid is so long. I could, I was stunned by how, like he's all legs. I could, I couldn't believe how long he was. And it's just like you could just see, like you put muscle on him, and he's gonna be a big problem. So, um, you know, it was exciting to see him, and it's just like you know, it's it feels like recruiting's in a really good place. Twenty twenty three could be even better, which is you know fun to think about. Um, obviously, the Sunny Styles like not landing that commitment, you know, puts a damper on that. But you know, they got guys like Keon Keeley. They just got Drake Bowen, um, Brennan Vernon, right? So these are some some superstar players. So. Yeah, and if you're talking about the 23 class, I would encourage um, those listening, if you haven't watched Don Schuler's film, go watch it. I really think Notre Dame got a steal in him, and I was a little hesitant when they took him, but after watching his junior film where he has eight interceptions already, um, I think Notre Dame stole that one from just about every school in the country because I think that kid's going to be a dynamic safety at the next level. Um, and then if you haven't watched Jackson Arnold, 
the 2023 quarterback, his mm-hmm. junior film, I would encourage you to do that as well because I think he's probably – if I was Tommy Reese, he would be my number one quarterback. So oh, my. I I think he's going to be very, very good at the next level. And um, I know he likes Notre Dame quite a bit, but uh, I think there's a pecking order. And Dante Moore, I think, is probably at the top. And, I mean, I'm not going to argue that, but because um, Dante is pretty damn good in his own right. But right. Um, I just think Jackson Arnold is, is going to be a good one. All right, Matt. Well, look, everyone said he, he told you to pick out uh, Adon Schuler and Jackson Arnold. So go look at their film. He's going to uh, Matt Freeman said to do it. So we're going to do it. Um, he's at Matt Freeman ISD on Twitter. You can find him posting clips. Um, you can find him on their uh, their website, irishsportsdaily.com. They've got a bunch of good stuff. Him and Jamie Uyama um, always good putting out good content. Everyone loves it. So um, follow those guys. Um, I'm at Greg2126 on Twitter. Um, Follow me. uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Rate the podcast. Send us a – put a comment up there. Um, We are – I I think Frank is going to try to try to get something – put something out himself. If not, then we'll – I'll – I'll read the reviews because we got a pretty good review from somebody uh, recently. So, um, but Matt, once again, man, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you having me. And uh, if you have the opportunity to to meet Greg or get drinks with Greg, I would encourage it because he's he's a fun guy. I am a fun guy. That's what people say. You know, I try I try to be a fun guy and I try to I try to make things I try to make uh, my little Twitter space a happy place for people to come and you know, pump up the players and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. And, and same for Matt, like Matt, Matt's a, uh, Matt's a good, Matt's a good dude. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, follow his work and support his work. Cause he does a great job. So, um, but everyone, thanks again for listening and, uh, go Irish. Go Irish.